Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. You are listening to Linux in the Hampshire. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello everybody, and welcome you to the episode number 381 of the most terrific amateur radio podcast on the internet. This is... Linux in the ham shack. And yeah, we've, we've done 380 episodes and got one more to do and hopefully another thousand. We'll see what happens. <laughs> uh, but we'll introduce ourselves before we get rolling too far. I'm Russ K5TUX. I'm Cheryl W5MOO. And I'm Bill NE4RD. And tonight is our short topics episode where we cover all kinds of things and we have all kinds of things to cover. So we should probably just dive in and do it and of course as always these will be red cold so <laughs> so so gear up for the for freshly the, uh, cut and pasted from the interwebs that's right <laughs> so if you if you haven't heard the show before maybe listen to the last one first <laughs> or something else. uh sort of get an idea of what you're about to uh, encounter but for those who have been here uh, for any of the 380 before the, this one, you know exactly what to expect. And the first thing that we should expect is some amateur radio topics. And Bill is going to tell us about our lovely government. Oh, absolutely. The FCC votes to free up 5.9 gigahertz band for unlicensed Wi-Fi. Despite objectives, uh, objectives, <laughs> despite see, objections. What, what did we say? What did yeah, we say? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Reading it for the first time. Uh, yeah, despite objections from the Department of Transportation, or otherwise known as the DOT, uh, the FCC voted today to allow unlicensed use of 45 megahertz of spectrum in the 5.9 gigahertz band. The spectrum was originally dedi- dedicated to Intelligent Transportation Systems, ITS, over 20 years ago. But few such deployments have occurred. The 5.9 gigahertz band includes 75 megahertz of spectrum between 5.85 and 5.925 gigahertz. The FCC action today makes the lower 45 megahertz of that band available to for unlicensed use while continuing to dedicate the upper 30 megahertz of the band to ITS. Uh, making the lower 45 megahertz of spectrum available for unlicensed use has gained broad support because that spectrum is adjacent to the 5.8 gigahertz band currently used on an unlicensed basis for wi-fi and much uh, of the installed base of wi-fi equipment can be upgraded via software to use the additional spectrum paving the way for wi-fi to operate at gigabit speeds oh that's a good thing uh indoor use of the additional 45 megahertz can commence immediately so flash your routers right away uh (laughs) while those wishing to uh Use the Spectrum Outdoors will need to wait a year until those few existing ITS users in the band can move to the upper portion of the band. So I would assume that these ITS systems are vehicles, and uh, there'll be a recall notice. 
<laughs> for your thing to get re- reprogrammed. Uh, let's Make see sure your routers are consenting before you flash them. You might wind up with a lawsuit. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. An important change, however, is that the previous FCC rules called for the ITS band to use dedicated short-range communications, or DSRC, technology, but the new rules call for the ITS portion of the band to use the newer cellular vehicle to everything. That's the CV2X technology. According to FCC Commissioner Michael O'Reilly, rough, 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 rough. <laughs> Sorry, I was just answering the dog. Uh, who championed the order adopted today, along with the FCC Commissioner Jessica Rosenworcel, Rosenworcel, I guess that's good enough, or Workel, maybe I don't know. Only uh, fifteen thousand cars supporting uh, DR uh, DSRC technology were ever manufactured, and only three thousand were ever sold. So only three thousand people have to worry about that recall. Uh, none of the current, none are currently for sale, he noted at today's FCC meeting where the order was adopted. Most current deployments are for testing purposes, he said. The technology, he said, was a road to nowhere. <laughs> and that uh, came from telecompetitor. <laughs> <laughs> a road to nowhere. I see what he did there. Sounds um, like Juno. <laughs> so who, so 3,000 cars. Wonder, wonder what cars. And, uh, and what are they doing now? I'm assuming our Googling expert can Google that up. Yeah, I, perhaps so. I hope, I hope this is not a technology that's like gone away and that that's like, you know, something Tesla did where it's part of the automatic driving system. And now there has somebody is cruising down some interstate somewhere and it just suddenly doesn't work anymore. That, well, considering bad. it was, it was brought about in the year 2000. I don't even think, uh, yeah, probably whatever the, his little solar company that he had originally, uh, <laughs> he was even there so well that's okay he's ripped off everybody else's ideas anyway so hey huh gotta gotta make a money <laughs> that's right mo money mo problems yep still waiting for the hyperloop okay through missouri <laughs> <laughs> yeah gonna be waiting a long time can't even get a highway pave there christ <laughs> <laughs> fill uh, the damn potholes <laughs> See, the thing is, a Hyperloop or something like a high-speed rail would be great between Kansas City and St. Louis. It would be, it, that's, that is the perfect thing for that, because it's... Non-stop. It's, it, it's <laughs> well, basically yeah. a straight corridor between the two, 250 miles, and if you could do it in an hour, that'd be awesome. There's a lot of, there's been talks about doing that for years. Yeah, but and no one wants to pay for the talking. infrastructure, so... Yeah. All right. So next on our list, we have SpaceX Dragon Capsule Resilience Ferries Four Radio Amateurs to the ISS. And this is what we were watching the videos of the other day, right? Um, because the SpaceX rockets are kind of awesome. Awesome. They're awesome. SpaceX Dragon Capsule Resilience carrying four radio amateurs autonomously docked on November 17th at 0401 UTC with the International Space Station, a SpaceX Falcon 9 launcher carrying the Precious payload went into space on Sunday, November 15th from NASA's Kennedy Space Center. They comprised the ISS Expedition 64 and 65 crew. Quote, well, the ISS is loaded with hams now. <laughs> aren't, aren't all astronauts hams? I mean, with, <laughs> whether or to not To some they, extent or another. Yeah, exactly. By some definition. Amateur radio on the International Space Station. Eris, U.S. delegate for the ARL Rosalie White K1STO said on Tuesday. That probably sounded really weird the way I read it, but just go with it. Uh, quote, these four arrived very early this morning, Eastern time. NASA astronauts Victory, Victor Glover, KI, KI5BKC, 
Mike Hopkins, KF5LJG, and Shannon Walker, KD5DXB, as well as Japan Aerospace Exploration Agency, JAXA, astronaut Suichi Noguchi, KD5TVP. This marks Glover's first time in space. The others are all ISS veterans. Earlier this year, NASA ISS HAM Project Coordinator Kenneth Ransom, and 5 bho held amateur radio licensing study sessions for Glover, who passed the technician exam on August 20th. The four will remain on the station until next spring. They joined Expedition 64 Commander Sergei Rysikov and Flight Engineer Sergei Kuzverkov, Kuzverkov of the Russian Space Agency Roskomos on the ISS. Are you okay? I think so. Why? You sound like you're about to bust to gut or something there. So <laughs> there's a sure. few extra consonants there. Pigs in space. And get take down. I used to love that. That's so good. Muppets. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was still really cool to see the thing come back down and land on the drone ship. That that still defies explanation almost when you watch it. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt, pretty cool. I mean, shooting people up in capsules like we used to <laughs> back in the sixties. Awesome, awesome stuff. <laughs> yep, it is shooting up in the back alleys. It's on the launch pads at you know Cape Canaveral. Well, it definitely uh, appears to be the most uh, economically efficient way to do it. So. Very good. You can't send them up in a 747 and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, they, those don't really go that high. So, <laughs> well, I'm just saying, you know, the, uh, the, the, the shuttle being such a large aircraft to actually pull into space. <laughs> right. <laughs> Along right. with the, the rockets and everything else to get it there. Yeah. And like I said, the last time we were talking about SpaceX rockets, they really know how to do form as well as function. So those, those things look cool. <laughs> yeah. And they're reusing them. So that's good. So much so. All right. So, Cheryl, are you reading stories? Or? No, not right now. Okay. In that case, Bill is going to tell us about the next one. Yeah. And <clears throat> this one could have probably gone in open source, too. I just threw it in ham radio because, hey, it sounded more ham radio-ish. Uh, Hermes and Red Pattaya now supported an open WebRx. That's right. Open WebRx, that thing that we thought was going to die with SDRHU. It's, it's out there and living strong. Uh, thank you to Stephen Dambeck, uh, DC7DS, for submitting news about the Open WebRx. Okay, so this is on from the RTLSDR site. So they're thanking him about this. I could have cut this out, but that's okay. Uh, about <laughs> Open WebRx adding support for Hermes HP SDR compatible SDRs. Hermes is a single board version of the open source high performance SDR HPS SDR design. Uh, there are several compatible Hermes designs, including the, the newer Hermes Lite 2. The Red Pattaya is an open source electronics laboratory instrument, but custom software can be installed, allowing it to function as an HPSDR type SDR. That's a lot of SDRs. Um, OpenWebRx is the software which allows you to access your SDR remotely via the interwebs or internet uh, or local network through a web browser. Stefan notes, I built a test, this is a quote, I built a test setup today using Red Pattaya 125-14 SDR in HP SDR mode, and this is now also supported. See, screenshot. So, yeah. 
I'm showing you the screenshot through the podcast. Just imagine <laughs> a lot of colors and like a waterfall and like signals and stuff. Anyway, at the moment, only one, one received stream is supported uh, for the Red Pattaya with 120, 192 kilohertz of bandwidth. So must be a, a bandwidth limited thing, but hey, it's a first stab at it. So if you only have uh, your, your open WebRX just for you, you only have to worry about one user being on it at a time. So, and, and if you happen to have the red pataya. <laughs> so anyway, that story came to us from the RTL SDR folks. And of course they aggregate all kinds of SDR news. So, uh, so that was a pretty good find. And also it was nice to see that open WebRx, uh, has a few forks out there that are quite lively. This one just got updated a few days ago. So yeah, very good. It's nice to have something that's continuing on after the, the demise of SDR at HU. But, um, Anyway, I think this next one might have been written for you. <laughs> so, oh, is that me? Oh, okay. I think I think this one was kind of written for uh, for <laughs> Billism. So uh, we're going to switch topics and move over to open source. And uh, since yeah. I don't want to be Bill tonight, we're going to let him take this one too. You know, yeah, this was a, this was an interesting one, and I only put enough in here to kind of get a glimmer of what the what the actual topic was. So uh, this came from uh, the Raccoon blog, and this is a, no, open source does not mean includes free support. <laughs> Sounds really bad when I say it that way. It, it uh, does, but I don't think anyone's ever had that confusion, have they? I, apparently so. So, uh, yeah, over on the Raccoon, this is, a, this is the APK downloader for Windows, Linux, and Mac OS. Their blog, the developer has posted a blog that has gone somewhat viral after making its way onto uh, Y Combinator, you know, Hacker News. Uh, here's, and this is uh, from the article itself, or blog post. Here's a paraphrased conversation I'm having way too often, costing me way too much time, keeping me from doing things that are way more important. User, hi, I'd like to report a bug in your application. Me, great, please open a support ticket then. <laughs> and the user says, but it, it looks like I need to pay for that. And I respond, no, so. <laughs> and the user says, I just want to tell you that your app is broken so you can fix it. And me says, yes, that's what's a, that's a support request. Please open a ticket. <laughs> and the user just sends them an ellipses. Anyway, from there, it typically derails into a whiny tirade about me being a crappy two-bit developer who doesn't give a sh shit <laughs> about his code this is actually in there so this is quoted uh which is ridiculous since uh professional pride aside i have every incentive to fix bugs to prevent my inbox from getting flooded and just wants to rip off his users oh so that was in parentheses so sounded really weird when i read it that way <laughs> sorry about that <clears throat> so yeah so Anyway, the, the, uh, there's, there was the original article, which was this one, where he was just kind of, you know, venting the fact that, you know, it's fine. If, if you, if you have support problems, you know, you can follow the path. Yeah. This is a project that the, the author wrote basically for himself and then shared, you know, much like a lot of open source software. We, we write a lot of software to solve our own problems and then we share it. And people can, you know, do what they want with it, right? <laughs> Ostensibly, but yeah. But occasionally you have these people that uh, are not programmers or tinkerers and, uh, you know, they just, it doesn't quite work for their specific set of circumstances. And, uh, yeah, I don't see any reason why uh, <laughs> there would be an assumption that, uh, that uh, the author would fix it specifically for you. Uh, so, uh, yeah. 
Um, and so he wrote a, a follow up to this post as well. <laughs> and let's see, uh, some of the things that people wrote, um, uh, in response to his, his little kind of tirade. I wouldn't, I wouldn't really consider a tirade, but maybe like, you know, Captain Obvious speech <laughs> as a uh, open source developer. Um, here's what people wrote back to him. He's, people said, bugs must be fixed. And he responds, no, they don't. <laughs> Have you read the license agreement? Search for the phrase as is. Every OSI approved license contains it normally in cap or usually in caps. Uh, let's see. Here's another. Uh, the bug was your fault in the first place. And he responds. So, oh, wait, is this going to be one of those conspiracy theories where I deliberately put bugs into my code in order to make you pay for removing them? Not really. <laughs> yeah, let's see. Here's a good one. My bug reports are a work of art, you prick. I spend my time <laughs> on helping you improve your software. <laughs> His response is, your bug doesn't bother me. If it did, I would have fixed it myself. <laughs> no, I love this guy. I mean, really, you know, uh, if you have a bug with a piece of software, the best way to pro you know kind of move forward with that is to a either fork the repo <laughs> put your own uh fix in there and then do a pull request back into the mainline repo and say hey here i found a bug here's the pull request <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> uh and if you're not willing to do that well yeah i would do whatever the author expects you to do and whether that includes monetizing his effort to develop software that you are using for nothing uh, hey, why not? You know, that's that's kind of like how it all works. <laughs> it's so, interesting uh, that I've never come across a project that has a pay-for-play bug fix model. Um, I, I hadn't even heard of this up until now. I guess I've just been lucky. Yeah, I haven't either, but I I wouldn't be against it. But depending upon, I mean, you know, what the bug is, for Christ's sake, it's good thing available. Tad you didn't can... do that, or Tag didn't do this. We, yes. <laughs> I'd be broke right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, crikey, you know, it looks like a pretty cool application, and people are using it. Uh, yeah, I, I would assume that if he's going to worry about, uh, let's see, he's building it for Mac OS as well, so it means he has to pay for a Mac OS developer's license, <clears throat> so he can actually you know, get a signed certificate and all that other crap that you yeah, need to put. That's like $100 a year, though, right? I mean, it's not. Yeah, well, I mean, that's like get you in the door. I think there's other, like, micro costs that you have to incur and stuff like that. So, um, but still, yeah, <sighs> yeah. Just pay the <laughs> yeah. goddamn man his money and yeah, get over it. No, yeah. Or so, use, yeah, it, I wouldn't use it for a piece every... of software. That's that's what the whole thing about, you know, open yeah, source your is. Own. <laughs> write your own. Use something that works just as well. Yeah. Whatever this thing is you're using, I guarantee you it's not the only one out there. So. Yeah. I, I just thought it was an interesting article. It's not really news or anything like that, but I thought it's uh, something a little different to put in here. So anyway, there's links to the original and the follow-up. And if you're uh, a hacker news junkie like me, you've probably already seen it because <laughs> it was on there. So anyway. All right. Very good. That was kind of fun. So moving on, we have Dear Pi GUI 0.6.0 has been released. Dear Pi GUI is a simple to use but powerful Python GUI framework. Dear Pi GUI provides a wrapper of Dear I am GUI or I'm GUI. <laughs> I'm GUI. Lovely. Uh, which simulates a traditional retain mode GUI. 
as opposed to dear I am GUI's immediate mode parent. You, you did this on purpose. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> immediate mode paradigm. Dear Pi GUI is fundamentally different than other Python GUI frameworks. Under the hood, Dear Pi GUI uses the immediate mode paradigm in your computer's GPU to facilitate extremely dynamic interfaces. Dear Pi GUI is currently supported on the following platforms. Windows 10, DirectX 11, Mac OS Metal. Those are the rendering engines. I'm sorry. I should have. Oh, okay. That was a table. <laughs> and I pulled the headers off. But yeah, so. <laughs> rendering engines, yes. You'll, you'll get the idea. OS and Linux engine. OpenGL 3. In the same manner, dear I am GUI, or I'm GUI, provides a simple way to create tools for game developers. Dear Pi GUI provides a simple way for Python developers to create quick and powerful GUIs for scripts. Now, why did I even include that? Yeah, in why did you even include that? Because <laughs> well, you a, want to make someone it was else really, read it. It was really fun to hear you read it. <laughs> <laughs> Secondly, I had never heard of it before. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking we got a lot of system admins and stuff like that, you know, like yourself and a bunch of other people that do like a little Python, you know, maybe a little under the hood work and stuff like that. And maybe have even delved into using TK or WX or one or cute, right? It's actually <laughs> teak. Teak. Oh, TK. Well, TK tickle, is teak. Tickle tick. Yeah. No, tickle tick. Tickle tick. Yeah. That was a teak. Well, tick tick, something like that, but not TK. You know, you know how the developers yeah, are. It would have been tick, is like the first was tickle tick. Yes. TK. So, yep. And I remember that from Pearl days. So, <laughs> I did some tickle tick. So, <laughs> but anyways, who cares? Um, but yeah, this is a, this is actually a pretty cool little library, uh, that straps onto this I'm GUI, um, uh, framework. <laughs> you said strap on strap on yeah. <laughs> it pumps it really well from behind no yeah. anyway <laughs> and it snowballs downhill from there yeah i, I was trying are to are you saying a, it's back end software is that what yeah it's back end yeah definitely. <laughs> it could be front end, to too. front end too yeah, yeah. <laughs> topish or bottom layer i can't remember <laughs> wow <laughs> but uh anyway uh yeah it's uh it's actually Pretty, pretty slick. And if I were doing like a little standalone GUI app thing that maybe had some, uh, like more interesting controls than just form controls, uh, like charts and graphs and all this other, other stuff that you normally or would like say make like a dashboard or some kind of tool or even like instrumentation. Uh, this would be a great, great GUI for doing like instrumentation front end work for uh, for your you know instruments or whatever um, sensors and stuff like that um but yeah <clears throat> yeah if you're not using like a web ui or something like that this is definitely like you know um like a forms ui type type environment where you have like a real window or windowed app or whatever not a not a web app or a progressive web app so uh yeah um this was new to me to hear about it and of course it's still fairly new obviously 060 is not a uh, 1.0 release but uh it looks pretty uh pretty slick. Check out the website. I linked the GitHub there in the uh in the uh show notes so uh, you can find out all other kinds of information from that point. All right, very I'll good. Read the next one. Yeah, I guess the next one is yours. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait. No. Did I say that? Sorry. Yeah. So announcing .net 5.0. Yeah, that's right. We are excited. We're so excited. This is from Dev Blogs at uh, Microsoft. Uh we are excited to release .net 5.0 today and for you to start using it. 
It's a major release, including C-sharp 9 and F-sharp 5, with a broad set of new features and compelling improvements. It's already in active use by teams at Microsoft and other companies, uh, including the one that I work for, uh, in production and for performance testing. Those teams are showing us great results that demonstrate performance gains and the opportunities to reduce hosting costs for their web applications. Because, hey, we don't have to use IIS. Thank you, Microsoft. Anyway, uh, we've been running our own website on 5.0 since preview 1. From that, from what we've seen and heard so far, .NET 5.0 delivers significant value without much effort uh, to upgrade, uh, unless you're coming from, like, .NET standard. <clears throat> it is a great choice, although they have some stuff that you can kind of upgrade your app, but... Hey, move along. Already... This is a Windows story. We don't care anyway. I know. I'm just <laughs> it's a great choice for your next app and straightforward upgrade from. Okay, blah, blah, blah. we hope you are enjoying it on your desktop, laptop, or cloud instances. ASP.NET Core, EF Core, C Sharp Nine, and F Sharp Five are also being released today. <clears throat> the .NET Conf 2020, our free and virtual conference, is being held today. So this was already in the past. However, you can find it all online on their uh, on the YouTube channel, and uh, you can download .NET 5.0 for Windows, Mac OS, Linux. Uh, x86, x64, ARM32, and ARM64. Interesting tidbit on the uh, Linux installation side is that the snap package is the preferred installation method. Seems like Canical uh, scores a win there with uh, that particular uh, <laughs> <laughs> documentation effort on the, on the Microsoft side. And does anybody know what the uh, license for .NET 5.0 is? Are you wanting us to guess? or Yeah, just guess one. Uh, MIT. Yeah, MIT. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Very permissive. So anyway, um, yeah. So I, I don't know. <laughs> it's good. It's pretty good. And uh, you know, I've I've spun up apps uh, both in Mac OS and in Linux using uh, .NET, and everything just works. So, uh, you know, using Visual Studio Code, which I think a lot of people are using for even just, uh, just any kind of development right now these days, because, <clears throat> uh, the extensions library is so, so good. Um, yeah, yeah. Interesting stuff. Good stuff. All right. Well, let's move on. Get away from Windows for a minute. And <laughs> that's not Windows. It's yeah. Linux. Well, okay. It's yeah. cross platform. It's cross platform. Cross platform runs on a Raspberry Pi. Come on, come on. Yeah. All right, you know, all right, fine, yeah. fine, fine, fine. You win. <laughs> <laughs> so slipping into Linux in the ham shack, let's talk a little bit about the latest release, Candidate Two of WSJTX two dot three dot zero. It fixes issues found in RC one, which is good because that's kind of what RC two is supposed to do. Uh, dropped audio samples message box is removed. Warnings and errors for those are now sent to the WSJTX system log. FST4W spots to whispernet.org will be augmented such that the server can distinguish the mode being spotted. That's always handy. Spots to whispernet.org will no longer be restricted to whisper subbands. A new internal system and data logging facility used to provide trace, debug, information, warning error, and fatal error messages is included. The verbosity and filtering of messages is user-dividable via a configuration file. Without a configuration file, a basic log is written with information, warning, and error messages only. Log files are automatically rotated to limit disk usage. And due to some users using inappropriate multicast IP addresses for their interoperating servers, this is a feature I ran into, the default behavior is now to only send multicast UDP datagrams to the loopback network interface, which is useless, 
Users who require WSJTX UDP message protocol datagrams to reach other hosts will now have to configure WSJTX to send on an appropriate network interface and use an appropriately scoped multicast group address for their server applications. If you're not sure, then 224.0.0.1, or if you're doing IPv6, FF02 colon colon one is the desired choice for multicast. Multipass. Multicast. Multipass. Yeah. And uh yeah, I I am running uh, RC2 as of today and uh, it works great. I have no problems with it. And I, other than having to set the interface for multicast, uh which took about 30 seconds to figure out even not knowing that there was a thing that had to be fixed. Um <laughs> uh, that pretty much took care of it and uh, I even have my dark mode back. So I'm happy about that. I'm Yay. still still waiting for that to be a GUI toggle. Uh, but other than that, it seems to work pretty flawlessly. And I was working a lot of 60 meters today and got lots of contacts. So nice. <laughs> I, I'm starting to dig 60 meters actually quite a bit. So yeah, I gotta, <clears throat> I gotta figure out if, uh, if one of my radios will actually do that. I don't know. I think, oh, I have 60 meters on the FD450D, but I think they have a channel eye. So it sort of wigs out when, uh, WSJTX tries to control the rig. Yeah, both um, both of my rigs, uh, I, the five megahertz band is is pretty much open. So uh, interesting. Yeah, so I don't have a problem doing sixty meters on either either radio at the moment. Yeah, maybe I'll play with mine again. I haven't, I haven't messed with that in a while. So it's been, I mean, <clears throat> sort of sort of when when seventeen when seventeen sort of starts to drop off, you know, after gray line and everything. Um, yeah. When when forty starts to get really banging. Uh, 60 is usually pretty good too. So, ah, interesting. Yeah, I'll take that into consideration. <clears throat> well, that leads us right into our other topic, which is a distro that uh, I have uh, quickly tried out inside of a virtual machine. So I won't get into much detail on it, but this is uh, the latest release of Kali Linux uh, 2020.4. So is it LHS ready or not? Let's see. Uh, Kali Linux, uh, which we have reviewed on here before, is a Debian-based Linux distribution aimed at advanced penetration testing and security auditing. Uh, Kali Linux contains several hundred tools, which are geared towards various information security tasks, such as penetration testing, security research, computer forensics, and reverse engineering otherwise known as hacking. <laughs> uh, Kali Linux is <laughs> developed, funded, and maintained by Offensive Security, a leading information security training company. And, uh, yeah, so this is uh, Debian-based, and uh, no surprise, it uh, it uh, has a really fat ISO image <laughs> that you have to download because it comes pre-installed with a bunch of, uh, bunch of applications for doing all kinds of stuff. Let me just give you a couple of little menu items here as I move my other monitor so I can see it. <clears throat> yeah, so they can do wireless attacks, password attacks, attacks um, web application analysis, database assessment, reverse engineering, talked about exploitation tools, including like search exploit and <clears throat> SQL map, sniffing and spoofing, post-exploitation, forensics, and let's see, some social engineering tools as well. Hey. Can, uh, can never do without those. <clears throat> and a bunch of information gathering stuff like doing uh, SMTP analysis, SNMP um, walks, and all kinds of interesting stuff that you can do out there on network devices and computers and servers and everything else. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so I just uh, I loaded up the ISO, popped it in there, 
uh, just did a quick little install of the ham radio stuff. It's all there, of course, because it's Debian and you know, your ham radio pure blends all there. Installed the uh, latest version of uh, WSGTX. At least the one that was in the repo was uh, 2.2.2, which I think is the general release right now. And that I think that's only in the repo for uh, what Ubuntu uh, 20.10. <clears throat> so, uh, so it has the latest version of that. Uh, I did uninstall it right afterwards and got rid of the data package as well, and then quickly installed uh, WSJTX 2.3.0 RC2, like Russ did. And uh, I noticed that uh, it came in and turned on directly into dark mode, <laughs> which I had to ask Russ about. It's like, did yours do that? <laughs> so mine did not. Yeah, apparently it has a, that's an undocumented feature inside of WSJTX is that it's looking at some key environment variable for whether it should start off in dark mode or not. So, uh, that's uh, news to us here and uh, possibly information to you if you have an OS that is a uh, semi dark mode, which uh, Kali Linux by default is dark mode. Um, so yeah, anyway, it's a, it's an easy 4.7 on the, uh, on the old, uh, LHS readiness chart. Um, it does have a lot of extra stuff in there. If, unless you're not really interested in that other stuff, it probably is a, a is a bit too much, <laughs> too much stuff to, uh, to have in your base installation. Um, like, uh, at least they don't install LibreOffice on here, so you have at least one thing you can install to add even more fat. <laughs> um, but, yeah, a lot of a lot of cool and interesting tools are in there, and I have played around with some of the tools before on Kali and uh, have definitely almost melted a laptop, you know, doing an analysis on a packet capture. So uh, <laughs> buyer beware once you start getting into the tools and wanting to check stuff out for yourself that uh yeah some some tasks are uh, not for underpowered devices so uh, <laughs> i would recommend if you're gonna do any type of air crack and stuff like that that you have a a pretty significant uh, uh, uh piece of hardware there that uh, is, is doing that but anyway uh yeah i'd uh, check it out it's uh it's it's definitely ham radio ready and uh even better because you get dark mode for free on uh, wsjtx <laughs> I might try and see. I'm running 22. What am I running on my ham shack? It's either 2004 or 2010. Can't remember. And might switch that into a dark mode and take, take it out of the desktop file and see what happens. Yeah. See if it does it on its own. That'd be interesting. Yeah. All right. Very cool. So we're down to the end of the topics for tonight, but that means we still have the social media roundup. So she's looking very concerned over uh, there. I'm trying to take her something. Okay, well, you can take care of it after you blow through the social media roundup. <laughs> all right, all right, 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 right. Okay, so this time for our Patreons, we have John Spriggs, Robert Lewis, Robert Pitts, Douglas Redder, David Jakeway, Darren King, Cubicle Nate, Erno Costala, Samuel Vimes, Peter Caffrey, Richard Gordon, Paul Griffith, Jonas Rulo, Donald Gever, Herb Garcia, Steve Sainer, Steve Metcalf, William Heckelman, Randolph Smith, Andy Webster, for subscriptions, we have Michael Burdak, Kevin Ivey, Tony Coberly, Ronald Ike, Johnny Kinsey, Peter Spots, Fred Cole, Bill Piotr, Jeffrey Boris, Robert Halliday, Wayne Hill, John Clark, Steve Hepler, Michael Jopling, Roger Pereira, Howard Dittmer, Todd Bowers, Michael Carey, A. Taylor, Dylan Engel, Jim McKenzie, Bill Collins, Robert Black, Darren King, Randolph Smith, Robert Yerke, Steve Biella, Alan Wilson, Mark Farrell, and Jeff Zimmerman. On Facebook, we had Ruel uh, Cornif, 
and Tom Tom Waller. No one joined us on Twitter. On YouTube, we had Donald um, Oskug and Donald Pernhagen. Uh, on the mailing list was Roll Corniff, Corniff, however it's pronounced, Luke Bryan, and no merchandise sales. All right. Well, that does it. We are down to the end. Let's check the chat room and see if anybody has any interesting questions or nasty commentary for the show. <laughs> we do have uh, we do have new call sign in there, I believe. Go ahead and mention the folks in the chat room we had tonight. We had Ted, W-A-0-E-I-R, Tony, K-4-X-S-S, Paul, K-5-W-M-A, Don, K-C-9-Z-M-Y, Stacy, K-B-7-Y-S, and Philip, K-J-4-V-F-O, which looks like a relatively new call sign and might be interesting to find out if that VFO was actually sequentially assigned or if they just... uh pick kj4 because that was the first vanity they could come up with that that ended in vfo but if they got that sequentially that's kind of cool um pretty slick yeah kj kilo juliet that's got to be pretty new i don't know where where they're at uh in the fourth call area but uh kj seems seems like it's kind of new um but anyway thanks for the folks who were with us live in the chat room tonight we appreciate you and we also appreciate all the folks who listen to us when the show is released on its normal channels. And I'm, you know, I'm working on trying to cover them all. I think they're just about everywhere. I mean, from iTunes to Podcast Alley to Spotify to Amazon Podcast. To, I don't know. If, if uh, there's a place where you can get a podcast, I think we're there. But uh, feel free to let us know if I've missed one. Trying to make sure that everybody who listens to podcasts can listen to Linux in the Hampshire. And with that, I guess we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. This has been episode number 381 of Linux in the Hampshire. I'm Ross K5TUX. I'm Cheryl W5MOO. And I'm Bill NE4RD73. for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hampshire. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. The live show is recorded every Monday night at 8pm Central Time, plus or minus QRL. Connect to the live stream at url.bcts.info stroke LHS Live. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info You can support the podcast by visiting the LHS Patreon page patreon.com stroke LHS podcast or by using the contribute link on the homepage. Get in touch via social media. We have a presence on Discord, Facebook, IRC, Twitter and YouTube. Our IRC channel is hash LHS podcast on the Freenode network and the Discord invite link is url.bcts.info stroke discord. You can also drop us an email info at lhspodcast.info or leave us a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the online LHS merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable show-themed merchandise. 
become an ambassador and represent LHS at a local Linux convention or handfest. Email ambassadors at lhspodcast.info for more information or visit the homepage for details. Until next time, remember to always heed your hedonism. Hamshack logo are released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License.